So we talked about this individual who emailed me uh, in the last episode, uh, and she was a little fervent and zealous in her nature. Um, and uh, me and Ashlyn uh, got Ash here, and we were just kind of talking and just kind of rolling through on uh, that whole situation as it was unfolding. And uh, I had a visceral reaction, just like she did initially when she emailed me. I also had a visceral reaction, and then Ashlyn did as well. Um, uh, and we got that actually on recording. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> um, and then Ashlyn gave me a call today and said he wanted to uh, just give some additional thoughts uh, and and uh, um, just continue the thought process because it wasn't it wasn't complete in the way it came out. Um, yeah, so uh, I think like after the discussion we had, even before the episode came out, and, and definitely after listening to the episode, um, I I wasn't really happy with uh, with something I had said, and not in the sense that like I was embarrassed or ashamed. Um, you know, I just think thinking through the conversation and thinking through. Um, you know, kind of my reaction. Uh, I'll come right out and say it. I, I called this person a bitch. Uh, and, you know, when I heard it, when I heard myself say it, it was kind of, it kind of shocked me a little bit. And I, and I, it just didn't sit well with me that in this discussion that is all about trying to understand people's viewpoints a little bit better, trying to understand why we believe the things we believe and how our brains work and why we are sometimes reactive in fear and anger. That was literally the point, right? Is that, you know, that we, we react in fear and in anger, um, because of how our brains evolved. And, and so my reaction was extremely basic and, um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even engage at a level, um, that I should have, I didn't engage at a level that is even appropriate. I engaged in name calling. And, uh, so, you know, what, I guess, obviously we, we haven't used this person's name. Um, you know, but if, if she listens, she definitely knows, I think who she is at this point. And I do, I do want to say, I'm sorry for engaging at that level. I'm not sorry for, you know, the fact that we disagree or the fact that I don't, uh, you know, agree with your view. I don't agree with your response to this, but I, you know, I'm definitely, um, remorseful for the fact that I engaged, you know, in this conversation and, and went to that level of name calling. I think, um, yeah, I'm just not happy with that about myself. And so I did, I did, I wanted to talk a little bit about it and uh, engage with Mark around, you know, I think go back to why we do that at times and, and also let you know that, you know, that I'm not happy with myself and I want to be challenged and continue to grow and, and not engage in that kind of behavior. And, you know, I think it's important that uh, you know, we all understand that me and Ashlyn had a, a conversation and, you know, we could have edited that part out. We could have not le like left that in, but I think it was important that we actually left it in 
for what it was because it was so raw and real and it was a part of the conversation that kind of set up the conversation to continue the points that we were even talking about at that very minute it it literally made the point right exactly i think the the point of that whole moment and really the whole episode is that is that the reason we sort of debate and drop and and go into this fear and anger mode is because of how our brains work and my my brain my very small small brain uh, <laughs> illustrated that perfectly uh, in that moment so um, it was definitely you know listening to listening back to it really challenged me and and uh, made me think about that you know that that I think we do that on all sides of the aisle I think no matter how intelligent you are or how intelligent you think you are you probably do that and and um, it was a very eye-opening experience, and I think doing this podcast, uh, you know, is a is a lesson in self-reflection all the time, and and you know, what's your ability to engage at that level, and just human to human, you know, I wanna I wanna engage higher. So you know, at the end of the day, here's where I'm at. I want to be a person who is growing, and and I want to be a person who helps other people grow. Um, you know, at all times in, in all areas of life. That's, that's something that's always been really important to me, whether that was in a faith context at one time or just in a human context today. Um, you know, and I think in order to, to be a person who's always growing and a person who's always helping people grow, I have to be able to look at my actions and, and challenge them. And, you know, this is a moment where I definitely have to challenge my action and and my words so again while i don't um concede uh that that i like where she's coming from in her response to the podcast i don't you know i don't agree with her um i don't like a lot of what she puts into the world um or agree with it that doesn't make her what i called her and it definitely puts her back. And, you know, if you're listening, uh, you know, if, if my words in any way, um, you know, if they in any way hurt you or, or your day or made you think twice about your own security level with yourself, um, uh, you know, if, if, if that happened, I'm sorry. I'm genuinely, honestly, sincerely sorry. Um, I'd be happy to have a discussion with you if you want, uh, you know, about, again, about your challenge to the podcast, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I, and I do apologize to any listeners, you know, that I, and I hope that, um, you know, I hope that going forward, uh, I can definitely learn from the experience and try to engage at a higher level. You know, we're here doing what we do to make better people. But in the process, a lot of people don't realize we're making ourselves better. Like I think back to the first podcast and I go back and I listen to them because the people I talk to, they inspire me and the stories that are told, they change me. And this is a perfect example of us being better and doing better. Um, I've been, I feel like I've been commissioned to just be such a good person, to always be good and always do good in every capacity and that that's what we're doing 
and that's what Ashlyn's doing. We're, we're, we're being good and we're doing good because this is making us better and hopefully it's making you better. So when I was 19 years old, I was fresh out of high school and I was recruited by a friend of mine who uh, told me about this, um, quote, business opportunity. Uh, and it required, <laughs> I know, everyone was, everyone who's ever been approached just cringed at that right there. Uh, this business opportunity required no prior experience and no education. Um, I could work for three years and have residual income for the rest of my life. Uh, now this business was actually, it was at the time it was called Quickstar. Uh, it was, uh, so this business was called Quickstar and it was actually a subsidy of Amway. Uh, for those of you who know what Amway is, um, all I had to do was, uh, invest this monthly fee and I can't remember what it was, maybe like a hundred bucks. Um, and I was an independent business owner. It was incredible. Um, then I, all I had to do was uh, simply purchase all of my daily living items from this company that I was associated with, like toothpaste and cereal, dog food, everything. Um, this was required as well as I had to hit a quota um, that, I, I, that I had to hit each month in order to make money. So um, in order for me to make any money, I had to hit a certain quota uh, from things being sold through my portal on, on the website at the time. It was very rudimentary at the time. But, um, but like if I spent $500 um, on my name of daily living products that I made it to like the first level, it was like bronze level or whatever it was. Um, but here's the catch. If I could find three other individuals to do the exact same that I'm doing, invest $100 monthly and buy their uh, daily supplies um, and like they would call it like my downline, I was their upline. Uh, and then their... $500 each would go towards my $500. And then, and then plus mine, I would be at $2,000. And that would push me to the silver level status. And at that point, the silver level status, I would receive a monthly bonus or a payout. And then if I could get those beneath me to do the same thing with them, and then all then those people to get more people, and it was like all of these people, basically everyone's money would come up to me and I would continue to move up and then like three years down the line, I would have like 10,000 downlines and I'd be literally making $50,000 in a month, literally every month that I never would have to work again. And that was the idea that was sold to me. Hey everybody, thanks for listening in today. I am your host, Mark, and uh, this is the Mark Explains Podcast. In today's episode, uh, this is episode number nine, uh, Multi-Level Christianity Part 2, and I'm joined today by Ashlyn and Lauren Kuyper and Julie Lynn. Um, they're all going to co-host today's podcast with me, and uh, we dive right into what multi-level marketing businesses are right off the bat, and uh, some interesting correlations between them and religiously minded individuals, and also why that's important, like why we even talk about that. Um, also in this episode, uh, Julie Lynn gives us a stellar breakdown on how humans learn and Ashman also goes into some pillars of belief. So basically we talk about all of the things on today's podcast. 
Um, We did want to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone out there in podcast land. And we hope you have a stress-free time with your family. And uh, if not, you can just pop in some earbuds and tune in to some fun conversations here on this podcast. And uh, also, if you haven't done this yet, make sure you head on over to either iTunes or Podbean and subscribe to these podcasts. Um, And then remember to go and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, And... uh, Check those, check those out. It's, it's a good time. Um, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks again for listening. Uh, enjoy episode number nine here on the Mark Explains podcast. So what is multi-level marketing? So multi-level marketing, also <laughs> called... <laughs> this was not staged at all. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so great. Basically, Hit me, it's Ash. bullshit. Um, what, <laughs> Ash, what, so, so explain to us what multi-level marketing is. So it's so it's basically network marketing, or you know, in the, like the example you gave, Mark. You like the first step is you buying all of the stuff that you would use, right? Like your laundry detergent, your new headphones, your you know what whatever consumer purchases you make you buy it through a certain link in a portal that is attributed to your sales. And then um, obviously the goal here is to try to get more and more people to buy products through this company. And so at the end of the day, you know, I think different companies do this differently where some are going to earn, you know, certain commissions based on what they sell. Um, but the real strategy here is to recruit and to get more people to do what you're doing and whether or not they get lots of outside people to make purchases through your portal is kind of irrelevant because the more people you recruit who just buy their shit through their links, the more you kind of get credited for that. So it's with you at the top and then more people uh, below you spreading out and buying stuff and getting more people below them, it starts to look kind of like a pyramid a little bit. Uh, and that's multi-level marketing. With you at um, the top, I mean, of course. Yeah, exactly, with you at the top. Um, so although each you know multi-level marketing company they dictate <laughs> their own specific financial compensation plan for the pay- – okay, I can't read your notes <laughs> – I should have read this before. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? I read my notes like four times. I, 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 I gave I gave notes uh, and they are <laughs> they are a little dense and I apologize, but it's no, it's it's, it's 100. My I'm sorry. I uh, I was supposed to be off today and I had a like a region visit, so I spent the whole day at work and so I'm just not prepared at all. It's I'm sorry. Uh, basically, it's bullshit. Uh, is, is is what it, what it boils down to. I, I do want to say this real quick. Basically, there are two methods of, of making money. It's either you you recruit people to go beneath you in order to become dependent business owners, independent business owners themselves, or through distribution um, of whatever products you're selling. Those are the two different ways you can make money. Uh, there Here are some stats on multi-level marketing. Now, some of you might be like, I've, I've never heard of this before. Yes, you have. I guarantee you have. Um, has anyone ever approached you with I don't like, think anybody's going to say that. No. no I, Agreed. Actually, I, <laughs> I know for a fact, I know two people that have never heard of this, but they've been approached. They just don't realize that the that's what this is. Um, well, there's well-known companies that they don't know are 
a part of this. Like everyone's heard of Amway. Everyone yeah, sure. Or Herbalife. With, oh, Amway. I've heard of that. Yep. Mona V. Um, yeah. like, like th- there's a bunch of, uh, there's a, a bunch of multi-level marketing companies. And now I do want to say, first and foremost, if you are part of a multi-level marketing company, I love you as a person. This doesn't make you any less of a person. Um, I, but I do want to I want to give you some stats on this because I, I, I am a man of science and I like data. And so here is some data when it comes to... Why are you shaking your head? Hey, hey, hang on. If we're, so I do want to say like, because you're, you're right, my reaction to say like, it's bullshit that's a very surface level reaction that I have to it. And I should qualify that by saying, I don't, I don't think that the sources that drive revenue through this actually make any sense from a business perspective. Like, you know, if you're going to sell something, then you, you buy it and then you sell it. And then that's how revenue is created in, in sales. Um, so when I say bull, I don't, I'm not trying to like challenge um, your identity, what you believe, you know, it's, it's obviously if you're part of this, if you're part of one of these companies, you probably take it very seriously. So I, you know, I, I want to apologize for my kind of quick reaction. <laughs> your your visceral, my, your visceral right, knee jerk reaction. Right, the, yeah. The crocodilian brain came out a little bit and it, you and went that's to the, you heard, so. exactly. So it, it yeah. but that's okay. And I mean, I, I, I know some people that are part of Monet and some people that are part of health coaching and some people that are part of it works and some people that are, that used to be a part of uh, Herbalife. And I know, I know somebody that's a part of Amway right now. Like these are good people and it doesn't mean you can't make money, but I do want to um, hit on some stats because this is an important thing here. Um, so the median income for a multi-level marketing representative, and this is the median. So this is this isn't even average. The median income is about twenty four hundred dollars per year. Then that is not including the cost um, that it takes to stay in the multi-level marketing business. Um, uh, the average is $1,000 per year and a lot of, and you know, and then like those companies would be like, yeah, but $1,000 is actually a lot of money. And, and to which I would reply, yeah, except for your, you're investing over a hundred dollars a month in either product or in just the company itself to stay apart. So you're actually netting uh, a negative number, like negative two or $300 or even more. Um, uh, 99.71% of participants lose money. Uh, in multi-level marketing schemes, 99.71%. This is not uh, like if you are going in thinking you are going to make money, I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying the odds are strongly against you. In fact, if you multiply that out by uh, like if you multiply that out by 1.73 million people, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than you do by making money through a multi-level marketing business, not a scheme, a business. Um, uh, what that, that also equates to one in every 545 individuals making any money at all. Um, but here's an interesting one. 75% of individuals uh, in multi-level marketing uh, identify as female, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, so I would be curious to know the numbers on how many of them uh, are stay-at-home moms. That is a huge point. And I never thought of that because I was actually going through this data and talking to Lauren about this last night and um, 75% of them identify as female. And and she said, I wonder if they're stay at home moms. And I was like, 
Of course they are, because they're trying to find some some sort of way that they can use the time that they have at home in order to try to create revenue for the family and to feel like they have, mm-hmm. more importantly, to feel like they have purpose um, you know, within their family. So that actually makes sense. Um, there are uh, 350 current multi-level marketing businesses currently in operation right now. I'm sure you know of a few and you don't, you might not even realize you know of them. Um, if anyone asks uh, if they need a hair model that wants to be uh, a part-time owner or whatever, that yeah, multi-level marketing guaranteed. Um, also, and this, I also find it really interesting. 1% of all the wealth, uh, I'm sorry, 1% of all of the people that do this, it's actually under 1%, um, get 88% of the wealth that's generated. So, 12% of all of the money generated from multi-level marketing is divided by 99% of the people. 12% is divided. Wow. That, that kind of sounds like the way wealth is distributed in our nation as it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, strangely, um, it, it, it's almost like a microcosm of what's actually happening. I wonder if our entire country is a multi-level marketing scheme. Regardless, down with patriarchy. Anyways. Capitalism is a multi-level. Wow, I think we're onto something. We might be. And maybe that's for yeah. podcast number two is capitalism is the biggest multi-level marketing scheme that there is. Uh, with uh, the president at the top of uh, so the I, I have a I have a question with all this, Mark. Hit so and, and maybe we're going to talk about this, but I feel like um, okay, I know you're going to talk about this, but I still want to ask. I feel so like I have a lot of friends and acquaintances and people uh, who I know who are Christians. I also have a lot of friends and acquaintances and people I know who are not Christians. Overwhelmingly, I feel like the people who have approached me or the people who I know are in a multi-level marketing company are church people. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a stat for that, but I just feel like there's, there's like, like people who I've known for years and years and years, it's always the really devout Christians who seem to give me a call and talk to me about their great life coaching business or, or whatever, or whatever. Um, yeah. Why, why is that? So why does it seem that spiritually minded individuals are more susceptible to multi-level marketing schemes? Exactly. Any speculations? I mean, I think it's pretty, it's pretty easy to combine the two, um, health and well-being, and, um, living your best life, uh, coincides pretty well with, uh, a lot of the Bible's teachings. And so, um, you know, an opportunity to combine those and maybe make some money on the side is um, a pretty easy uh, compilation to create and advertise for is just my theory on that. So I think that the sometimes the teachings of the Bible can seem a little a little too good to be true and we buy in and we do the whole thing and you know sometimes we see the negative side of it and sometimes we don't depending on who you are and what your life is and I think that marketing schemes c- kind of approach your brain and your experiences and your biases kind of the same way like look at this great thing it's gonna it's gonna save you from fin- financial burden it's going to save you from a life of sin. And then don't worry, 
you're going to bring up people in, you know, mm-hmm. part of being a Christian is bringing other people. And I just think that there is the, pro- the literal process of marketing schemes is a lot like being a Christian in the it way that so I think so like being a Christian. Thank yeah. goodness somebody chimed in because I was like, am I the only one? Yeah. But really the first time we talked about this, that's when I was like, remember the, the person in charge gives some Jesus out and then those people give some Jesus out and the, mm-hmm. you know, but everybody. Christianity is the biggest MLM. Jesus. Yeah. Like I, everybody's just in it to try and get some more goodness or Jesus or grace or forgiveness or whatever. Yeah, no, you're right on. You're right on. So there's a certain like thinking about it thematically. It's it's a very evangelical uh, type of business model, right? You have to um, you have to find others and then convince them. And I I know that again. I I've never joined one of these, but I like I have really good friends who are a part of one, and and um, we've I've even had kind of a behind the curtain uh, conversation with with one of my very best friends who's in one of these companies and. Um, the first time we talked about it, he didn't want to like do his presentation for me. He didn't, you know, because I think he, he wasn't quite ready. Like there was, there's so much coaching that goes on behind the scenes to get someone even ready to overcome the objections that someone's going to have to this. And that is very similar Mm -hmm. to Christianity and to like evangelical behaviors. And like, you have to be really strong in the word before you can go out uh, to Centennial Park and preach and talk, talk to someone about Jesus or whatever the case may be. So thematically, I think they're identical. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's a certain like, don't peek behind the curtain element to both the networking marketing and organized religion. If you think about it, um, they both Mm -hmm. offer like easy answers to hard problems, regardless of the merit of those answers. Um, just if, and only if you simply believe, uh, and they, they also provide hope for those, uh, who otherwise might not have much look to for, uh, much to look forward to in life. You know, like they, uh, like with net, with network marketing as in religion, um, all of all the thinking is absolutely done for you. Um, if you if you can just dial into it, you can make it work. Um, with both multi level marketing as a religion, it, it's like built in the culture. Uh, it's it's like built in the cultural structure to be certain about what it teaches. So if you think about like Christianity and about multi level marketing, these people are certain about what is being taught, and the human brain is biased towards certainty. So you want to believe somebody who is a hundred percent versus somebody like any one of us who is like, you ask us questions about things and we're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like you ask me anything about science and I'm like, well, science points to this, but you know, we're not really certain. And then you have a a pastor that's like, Oh, the word of God says 6,000 years ago, the earth existed. Who are you going to (laughs) believe? You're going to believe the person that is certain because the human brain it feels like smooth ice cream when you hear somebody that's certain it's like ah yeah it sounds so good one time and by one time i mean one very important time you asked me how could my story have happened to me and i remember i wish i could go back and answer that question a million times but what mark just said is how it happens to you Mm. because somebody is so resolute and mm-hmm. so confident in what they're saying that after you've been told it enough times, 
you actually question your own reality. And I don't mm-hmm. just mean like in a relationship, but I mean like your view of God and your view of finances and the world and food and kids and your family and your friends. And that's how it happened. And like, yeah. I just don't think it, that yeah. answer was going to come without Mark saying that, that when somebody says it, it's like butter, like, oh man. I was so unsure before, and you just sound really confident. So that just must yeah. be, but not as dumb as that. But like, it takes time to get there. But you know, like, it kind of leads to what we've been talking about. No, it yeah. makes sense, Mark. I do. If it's okay, I want to circle back to to something you said a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, I think kind of in the spirit of of fairness, because um, I don't. I mean, I think I think it makes sense to not to try not to speak in absolutes and and. You know, I almost, I this. almost never do, and that's yeah. because the only thing that is absolute is the word absolute. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'm not accusing you of speaking in, ab, in an absolute. I just think I want to, I want to kind of hit on this. So you said that there's a, there can be a don't peek behind the curtain element to both network marketing and organized religion, and the way I interpret that is certain. Certainly, I agree with it in a, in a major way. There's some anti-transparency. I think. And, and I think that's another way to say that in organized religion and churches and in network marketing. I do want to say that there are church organizations that really strive for transparency and whether or not I agree with their message all the time or what they do. Um, you know, I think I think we have we have to kind of and even multi-level marketing companies, some that I know of come right out and say, this is our business model. This is what we do. And we're OK with that. And so there's. Um, you know, just just for the sake, like I said, of fairness, I think it's important to say, like, not all multi-level marketing companies um, try to hide the fact that that's what they are. If that makes sense. Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. It definitely does. And I, again, these are good people. They are good, good people, and I want to keep reiterating that. Um, but you know, to kind of circle back around, back back around, um, when talking, like, why, like, why, why, why does it seem like? all of my Christian friends are wrapped up in multi-level marketing schemes. You know, like the, it's important to remember that like religious and spiritually minded people um, are psycho, are, they're psychologically pre um, sorry. They are psychologically pre-programmed to believe the unbelievable. So like when a story is told to them that has little foundation in reality, they might be skeptical, but they're not used to um, exercising deductive reasoning in order um, in order to navigate away from like the storyteller. Like I am, I was pre-programmed to believe the unbelievable. So if somebody comes to me and says, you can work for three years and never again for the rest of your life, you're like, oh my God, he's confident. He's certain. And also I have been pre-programmed. I have been uh, predisposed to believing the unbelievable. So mm-hmm. this is this is why I believe these things. Like faith is simply believing that the good is ultimately the result of one's life and circumstances regardless of what the present looks like. That's what this is. I was exercising my faith that I was good and believing the unbelievable. And that's why I there's fell like there's like no marketing. stretch or or jump between someone survived in a whale's stomach days and you can make millions of dollars uh with very little effort yeah they're basically the same statement it's 
if you want to start Outside to pull of- up the, the <laughs> historical inaccuracies of the Bible, I would love to talk about it. Unless you uh, interject <laughs> divine intervention for for both scenarios. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I, we also have, um, I think Ashlyn's going to kind of talk through uh, the four pillars of belief. And, and Julie, I think we're going to kind of go into your thing here in just a little bit. I kind of want to talk first a little bit um, about the four pillars of belief from Ashlyn. Um, and I'm going to help you with this word, Ashlyn. <laughs> oh, I think it. I think I got it. Yeah, you got Practicing. it. Hit, hit me yep. with it. Hit me with it. It's the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Oh, it's so good. It sounds yeah. so you good. You really nailed that. Nailed, nailed it. it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think so. Like what's written in here, and what the word we've kind of used is the the four pillars of belief. I, I really think, um, I really think that this is more thinking of about this. Uh, to me is more helpful in calling it the, the four sources of belief, I think, because so, so this is something I kind of stumbled across when I was thinking about and reading about belief and theology in the context of Christianity and faith and, and where it comes from and, and, you know, trying to dig into and discover why people, um, especially in the, in the faith context, why people believe what they believe. Um, and I came across uh, this thing, uh, that John Wesley wrote about called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And, um, so John Wesley, uh, I think the four of us are probably pretty familiar with who that is. And probably most of, uh, the listeners of the podcast are pretty familiar with who that is, but John Wesley was a scholar, um, kind of a theologian, uh, kind of not. Yeah. So in some ways, uh, you could compare him to like the Rob Bell of the 1700s where a lot of his ideas were um, kind of scoffed at and thought of as heretical um, by like the existing church and the, the powers that be within the church. So um, he's a guy I think would fit right in uh, among, among theologians today. But one of the things he wrote about um, uh, that I think was really powerful and really helps me think about belief in a faith context and really it helps me think about belief about anything. You could apply this to politics. You could apply it to, um, you know, how you feel about a, a superhero, for example, or, or, or anything um, is, is this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And the idea is that all of our beliefs and our theology that we hold kind of comes from four different sources. So the first source of, of, uh, belief um, is experience, right? So we all have had experiences that have shaped what we believe or given us um, given us reason to believe a certain thing. So I think uh, Julie um, was even talking about that um, a little bit earlier about how your experiences shape your reality, and then the reality <laughs> shapes how you experience reality. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, so maybe I'll throw that to Julie. Like, what you know, Julie. From your perspective, what's something that that you've experienced that has kind of shaped shaped your reality? Um, maybe in a faith context, maybe not. Maybe in something else. But like, you know, obviously the thing that comes to my mind, and, and it doesn't have to be what you talk about, but like your story from the previous podcast. I'm sure that that experience had shaped a lot about what you believed about relationships or about God. But if it's something else, I don't know. 
No, I think that that's a, that's a very logical place to go. Um, I definitely think it's, and not to like avoid the faith and religion, but I think um, it, it's to touch on something else. It's shaped a lot of um, <coughs> the way I am dating and the way I experience that. And um, I would say my stubbornness to be really over the top independent filters through this sense of like, I can never be codependent again because if I am, that's what happens. Um, yeah, to the point where, like, I've dated people and, like, not let them carry my groceries inside. And I'd rather carry, like, eight bags on my arms, <laughs> um, which seems silly. But, right, um, I would say that's shaped a lot of the reason that I'm 31 and, and happily, you know, single. It's just because I would say that's that it definitely affects me. In my day-to-day life, when you think about that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, our what we see or what we think we see, um, the things that happen to us, the circumstances around us, the, you know, the encounter relationship that we have with God, um, how we feel when we pray or when we worship, um, you know, I think a lot of the church and a lot of the Christian faith, or at least in an evangelical sense, is built on experience, right? And as worship leaders, uh, I think most of us have at some at some point done that. As worship leaders, we kind of understand you're building an experience for someone uh, when you when you do that worship service, when when you have the lights a certain way, when you have you know certain tones in the sound and um, even the way you structure a worship song and, and, you know, the way the lyrics invoke, you know, a certain feeling, all of that is tied to what people experience. And, and so the church, I think has, it's to some degree sort of figured that out that, that we want people to experience God in a certain way at a certain level and tie that to certain feelings and, and beliefs. Um, so that's the first source, uh, you know, of belief in the quadrilateral is, is what we experience, how we feel, um, sort of the the intangible at times, you know, feelings that are tied to to the things we hear and see and the and the evidence or lack of evidence around us. The second uh, source in the quadrilateral is scripture. So in Christianity, what what you know what would be considered the divinely inspired writings. Um, you know, other people's experiences with God. That's that's what Wesley meant when he talked about Scripture. Um, he believed that all other parts of the quadrilateral had to be sort of tested against this. And I think in a faith context, that makes sense. Um, you know, what the Scriptures say or what they mean or, you know, they're interpreted, obviously, in different ways by different people. And, and depending on where we get our information, um, that can kind of flow into, you know, what we believe. So Mark... In your story, uh, I know you've talked about how when things sort of started to fall apart, um, it was really when you looked at the Bible and when you looked at, at Scripture. So I don't know, can you share some of that? Like specifically, what did you look at? Like how did, you know, before, let's talk about 2006, Mark. <laughs> God, he was such a... <laughs> he, he was a good guy. Let's, 2006, Mark, yeah. but, um, no, I'm laughing at Julie's bottle opening skills. Um, so, Mark, you know, tell me about sort of the difference between what 2006 Mark believed about Scripture and and maybe why, and what uh, 2018 Mark believes about Scripture and why. 
Well, I mean, we're kind of talking about how, in a sense, scripture, and it's. I think what I think we need to put the word scripture in quotes here, um, because when you're talking about the way the belief is structured and beliefs are formed, scripture can be a lot of different things. I mean, scripture can be Fox News if you're talking about the political belief system, um, and so scripture in this case, it does happen to be the Bible, but it's. I think the Bible. Um, from 2006 mark to 2014 mark would be um, the Bible uh, persuading me literally uh, to believe one thing versus to believe another thing. And it's exactly the same scripture in, in a sense. Um, but I think it kind of ties back to my experience um, in what Julie was saying. I mean, because like everything up until 2006 had framed and structured me to believe a certain dialogue and a certain construct about the the scripture that was being fed to me. And so then when things began to fall apart and to change and my experience changed, then I had to restructure the scripture in order for it to fit the changing mold of my brain. And so the scripture then kind of took on a new meaning. And I read the same, literally the exact same words, but it was, it was, had a um it had a counteractive effect um in in my reality in in the the building of my belief system and that's simply because of my experience at the time so it's kind of like both of these pillars of belief were playing into each other and i'm sure we're going to talk about the other two and how it's like it wasn't just one thing it wasn't just this oh i read scripture and it changed me it was the experience it was everything all kind of coalescing together to build the reality that i live now and scripture was a huge part of that of course um but it's just interesting how the scripture back then reinforced one thing and now it's kind of building something entirely new so I think another way to think about scripture is like, like what what is written, right? It's not just you know again in a faith context we talk about the Bible and what's canonized as the Bible, but um, you know you you could talk about um, you know the the Detroit Lions and and the media that's written about the Detroit Lions obviously influences what fans and what people think about the team, and so you know that that's really the context of I think. You know, obviously, Wesley was talking about scripture in a biblical sense. Um, Julie, you're raising your hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> no. So, Wesley. I was, was trying talking. to balance. Oh, you say that like a Michigander. Balance. Balance. <laughs> so, Wesley was talking about scripture in a, in a biblical sense, but I think we could think of scripture as you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get a bagel. Hold on. <laughs> Mark, you do it too, though, man. Oh, yeah. You do. I swear. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. Right. L- listen, all I want is a bagel. And, um, and a maybe Go to Kroger and put some and bag. Just lay Mel- on my pillow at the yep. end of the night. Yep. And drink some milk. Yep. With milk. my friend Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you can't forget the unnecessary plural S, like Myers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You okay, go to, I'm, I'm going to Kroger's. My bagels from Myers. Yep, my bagels from Myers, and put them in my bag. <laughs> oh my god! 
So that's scripture, y'all. <laughs> uh, well, what else we got? I mean, so we have we have experience and we have scripture, and those two things are entirely different, yet they literally play into each other. Like, what you can't really have an experience without the scripture right there. Like they I play think that's, in. That's one of the cool things about this is every one of these four. Um, pillars or sources and in, in, in this thing sort of interlock and change the other three. Um, and, and you know, all of them, they're, they're like a lens through which you kind of see all these other three. So, uh, yeah, you have experience, you know, what you see and, and what you feel. The scripture, or the, that's really like thinking about that as the information that you take in uh, about a certain topic, whether it's faith or something else. The third one uh, is tradition. Um, so it's, you know, kind of what people around us, what our tribe, uh, and our people, our families, the, you know, the people in our circles of influence, what they, uh, believe and what they teach us, all of that shapes our worldview, uh, in a huge way and our theology, um, the tradition that we participate in, whether voluntary or not, uh, is really a lens through which we kind of see the world and, and how we form beliefs about God, um, so, Lauren, I want to ask you about tradition and about how, you know, obviously you came from a um, a very, you know, I think we could say Christ-centered or, or, or biblical-centered home. Um, and I'm sure that, that that really shaped your worldview. And then obviously just being a part of your story, you really encountered um, some things that weren't, uh, didn't jive with that. So, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, how did, how, how did you handle that from a, from a tradition perspective? You know, what, what, what did that look like for you and, and how it formed your belief about that? Yeah. I mean, traditionally, um, quote unquote, you know, I, um, I, I originally, I guess I thought of myself as, um, you know, just being very, confused and maybe like I, I started to question my morals and and who I was as a person I thought I was a kind of a terrible person because my um my sincere beliefs didn't match up with my emotions and everything else and um yeah it was um it was definitely a major conflict um and and just knowing I think it, it was something that obviously um, was a deep root in why I didn't, uh, talk to anybody else about it because it, you know, it went against every traditional thought of, of marriage and relationships and, um, you know, <laughs> the countless hours of, um, Bible study in women's groups of, you know, um, how men and women are supposed to interact and, um, how we're supposed to feel towards them and, and the whole submission, um, aspect of things. And none of that made any sense in my world because I didn't have those same feelings. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, tra tradition messed me up. <laughs> it didn't make any sense for sure. Um, and I feared it. I feared tradition because I didn't think I stood a chance against that. Um, when challenging it with family or friends. So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, tradition plays a huge role in 
in shaping that for us. And, and I think, you know, obviously I wanted to ask you that, Lauren, because I think, you know, your story more than any of us, what you believe today um, had to conflict so much. And, and, you know, even just things that are, are in your identity had to conflict so much with that. I know that had to be really challenging. Um, you know, and it's even in the small things that we believe in, like, like whether or not we raise our hands in church, uh, you know, or the, um, the little details of our theology, what we believe about the Holy Spirit or, you know, all of those kinds of things are wrapped up into the tradition of our people. Like I said, our tribe or what the people around us believe. The fourth source is uh, reason. I think that's the kind of the most important one. Uh of these four. So reason takes uh, everything from our experience. It takes everything from scripture or from the information that we take in. Uh, it takes everything from our tradition and what we've kind of experienced with the people around us. And, and reason is our ability to sort of tie all that together and, and figure out what it means. Um, it's, you know, reason is, is the, the tool that we have to be able to make sense of all the experiences, to make sense of all, um, really shape that into the context and, and the theology of what we believe about God or what we believe about anything. So it's hard, at least for me, when I think about these these four sources of belief, it's hard not to try to use Donald Trump as an illustration of this, um, just because I think it's so polarizing and we all feel so strongly one way or the other. But um He's kind of the obvious, the obvious thing here. Um, so, what you feel, uh, you know, what what do you feel when you when you see him speak, right? I, I know that like when I see a press conference or when I read about what he's done, like I feel a certain way. I have an experience, um, positive or negative, you know, when I when I see Donald Trump speak or when I hear about something he's done. Um, how, you know, how how do his positions? impact you and, and thinking about that all of that ties to our experience of uh of donald trump um you know what obviously what mark said about fox news what news sources do you consume uh you know and what do they say about him that's that's kind of the the scriptural part or the in, incoming information um you know whatever those sources of information say about him that's kind of the scripture that we adhere to uh when it comes to politics or when it comes to him and then one of the things that I think is most interesting is thinking about this in a tradition context. What are the people that you love and respect and look up to and, and you know, the people that you think highly of, what do they think of Donald Trump? And, and I think that that plays a big impact on where people land. Um, when you hear a story about him based on your answers to all these questions, you're going to come up with a conclusion about his personality. You're going to come up with a conclusion about his motives, about his aptitude, about his morality. That's your reason coming to that conclusion based on all of your experiences, your experiences of him. It's, you know, based on all the incoming information about him, based on the tradition and what the people around you, uh, the people that you put yourself next to, what they think of him. All of that comes together, and you form a conclusion based on that. You know, I also want to kind of point out, um, obviously we're talking about the way beliefs are set up. We're, we have to talk about biases a little bit. And it just kind of hit me 
the four so obviously i think there's like 37 human cognitive biases that are the main ones and there's like dozens of others but i think there's four main ones that that kind of speak into all of human belief systems and it's kind of interesting because these four these four biases are almost go hand in hand with the four quadrilateral uh westland pillars of belief it, it's it's just really interesting because the first one we have um, when any belief system uh, can be structured, you can say that anyone believes any one thing or any set of of one things due to four biases. And the first one, of course, would be like group bias. Um, we believe, I believe it because we believe it. If everyone thinks it's rational to believe this one thing, then of course it's rational to believe it. I mean, because I, I can remember, and I, I think Lauren, I think you're familiar in this upbringing, like, uh, I was in church and it was super common, uh, for people to speak in tongues Mm -hmm. in congregation. And for those of you who don't know, that's when, uh, what anyways, what we've been taught when the Holy spirit, which is a, one of the Trinity comes into your physical body and there is an utterance through your mouth. And a lot of the times it sounds like gibberish. Uh, all of the time it sounds all of like the time, it all of like, the times it, it sounds like gibberish and, and and but everyone believes that this is this is a thing and like if everyone thinks it's rational then of course it's rational you know um i it, it, it then obviously there would be an interpreter or whatever and it, it, like it that stuff's weird let's just call it for what it is it's weird and i'm not saying it's right or wrong or it is something or it isn't something i'm just saying um it it was weird but i believed it because everyone believed it like it it was just something that every i mean that's a group bias i like here here's a great thought experiment about group bias um let's just take uh let's let's say you have 20 people in the room all right like you're in a room with 20 other people and i kind of want you guys to follow along here and kind of put yourself in this room and um someone grabs uh a a a can of coors light just like this one right here and uh and i say this is a can this is a can of coors light which is what i'm drinking it's the piss of the mountains you know and uh and someone else says no that's a horse and the first thing that i would say is what okay well what you you just you probably like that's just what your word for this is is just horse like i mean obviously you don't think that this is actually a horse you know this is obviously a can of Coors Light and that person says no of course that's a domestic animal that does work and the first thing that we all to collectively would think would be like all right this person probably needs to go to like some kind of a mental asylum or something like that you know but what if it was eight people in the room what if eight people of the 20 were all like, no, that's a horse. Like at what point does this reality actually exist because group bias kicks in and they all believe that this is a horse because it's rational to believe this. Like if I was in a room of 20 people and 16 people were resolute about their belief 
that this is a horse. Julie believes that this is a horse. Like, at what point do you start shifting and thinking, maybe, maybe I have it wrong? When you are with a group of individuals that is so resolute about what they believe, it, it starts to change the way you believe things. And you start to try to make excuses exactly. or like maybe it's because they see this or this or maybe, hmm, well, let's see, alcohol makes me, I'm a little more relaxed and then I maybe want to do more work, which is totally not the case for me. But you try to start making excuses for it and put some asinine ideas together and make it work somehow. And you begin to justify your beliefs. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's how your belief system begins to change. So, so that's, so that's group bias. And then you have uh, scripture, which is availability cascade. We've talked about this before. Availability cascade is hearing one thing over and over and over and over and believing it. This is simple. This is found on Facebook. This is found on all of the news uh, channels, not just Fox, not just CNN, not just anything. It's availability cascade. When you say something over and over, when you hear it over and over, you begin to believe it. That's why when you tell a child that you love them because they're beautiful, it's so important to do this. Everything you tell a child begins to build the reality of that child. So it's so important that you that you structure your children and those people around you. You, you speak life. This is vital. This is scripture. This is the scripture part of the pillar. Then you have tradition, which is authority bias. You believe people in authority simply because they are in authority. Like uh, President Trump says one thing about one person and everyone either absolutely believes it or resolutely does not believe it. It's either one or the other. And you have these people that are like, no, he never paid Stormy Daniels anything. And you're like, dude, you, there's receipts. Shut the, you know, get it, get out, get out. You know? And, and so like, but that's authority bias. You're going to believe someone more because they have authority. And then of course you have confirmation bias, which is you are more likely to believe something that fits the pillars of belief that you already have in yourself. So if you are a Republican, you are more likely to believe things that fit the the entire structure and the construct of the conservative side of the political spectrum. Um, so that's reason. So confirmation bias. So it's funny, those four main beliefs, those four main biases before cognitive biases really um, were a thing. Wesleyan kind of touched on those and he didn't even really realize he was doing so, which is kind of cool. So, I mean, I already touched on the fact that you have like a privileged and unprivileged domain when I said earlier, like you're more prone to learn certain things and you actually have to give effort to learn other things. And that there are studies that as of six months old, um, we're giving effort into learning. There is no point when we're just a blank slate, mindlessly soaking in information like sponges. I mean, we're constantly... Um, building that cognitive economy, I think that that um, that's like a good buzzword to kind of stick with. Um, and I think when we're relating it to what we're talking about on this podcast, um, it, it also is about six months old when you learn the difference between inanimate objects and animate objects. And I think the first time, like when I was trying to relate to this, being that it had to have been six months or younger, but the first time I remember really struggling with something that was inanimate, but I was being told was real, was like Santa Claus, right? You have this fascination with this thing that's supposed to be real, but it's not hmm. real, kind of predisposed position to label things. 
is this something we are interested in learning in? Is this not? And is this an inanimate object or is it not? And so from then we obviously grow and mature. There's this kind of worldview that we just learn and develop and learning and development was created in the industrial age where humans were kind of machines and we were just going to school just to go to school and increase our brain much like sometimes I think years ago we were going to church just because we were going to church which kind of like built in that tradition. Um, but development is completely different than learning. Development's kind of overcoming the information processing constraints you have. So for me, things that are interesting, um, Mark, I'm going to use you as a great example. You're interested in a lot of things, but let's just say I am less inclined to be interested in science. Okay. Let's just go ahead and say that. Okay. So one of my areas of development would be overcoming the information processing of science hmm. because it's, it's in my unprivileged domain because I lack interest in it. And therefore when you don't call information more often, it kind of sits in your, your short term memory. And the less you recall things, the less easy it is. And therefore the less interest you have. So that's when you're in development and less into kind of learning. Um, but we all have metacognition, right? Which is the ability to know that we're learning and having self-awareness, which I think is, is tying into, Mark, what you were talking about, the actual brain mm -hmm. and the way that the brain works. Because the brain actually expands and contracts when you're learning. There's um, a lot of studies that show that when neurons are firing, you can see it in your eyeballs. Mm -hmm. So a teacher at the front of the room um, I would say one that's well-trained in pedagogy is actually watching to see if your eyes are shifting a lot and looking up and down or if they're engaged with what you're saying because the neurons fire differently in the brain. Mark, you're laughing like you have something to add there. No, I was just, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time sleeping in high school, so <laughs> there's no way the teacher would have seen beyond that. <laughs> Beyond your sleeping in class? Yeah, my eyes were not darting or focusing. Mark, I thought you were such a good student. I had such a high regard for you. I, I second secondary. Okay. Post secondary. So, when you're thinking about the church, to me, one of the the learning domains that we're using there is kind of storytelling, right? Although you guys talk a lot about the lights now and in a few podcasts and how the lights make a big difference. And I never knew that or thought about that before now, but the more that I think about the way that an experience actually allows you to absorb information differently, that makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit like I've been tricked for a really long time. Well, if I can, <laughs> if I can just speak to that for like half a second, do it. If I can control the emotion because emotion is directly tied to uh, receiving information. If you, I mean, you got to think, let's say um, this is coming from a worship leader because I, I was a worship leader for a while. Um, actually, so was Lauren and so was, so was Ashlyn. So this is really interesting. Um, but, it, but if I'm on stage um, and at, at a time when I was actually in uh, South Florida uh, for a season back in 2010 and 2011, I was on a worship stage where there was, uh, you know, 3,500 people in front of me. Every single person was coming from a different place. 
So if, if, or in order for me or more importantly, the pastor to relate to all of them, or at least hopefully most of them all at the same time, we have to kind of bring them, we have to break them down and then build them back up. So if I can cause them to laugh, laughter breaks down defenses really quickly, but also if I can cause them to, uh, strike an emotional chord. So like the inflection in my voice, I know that Ashlyn's talked about that before, um, or if I can um, invoke a moment uh, where it feels like a moment of silence, but there's slight music going on where I just stop for a moment, everyone kind of is like, wait, what's going on? And I can literally evoke an emotional response by, by my actions, by my words, by the way I sing, by the way I talk to the crowd. And if I can pull them all, then I slightly slide out and back out and lower the music and the pastor comes on and everything that he says at that point is much more effective than just trying to come on stage and speak. So were you tricked? I don't know. Have you seen a movie where the music moved you? Were you tricked then? No, I, no. And I was mostly joking when I said that because emotions is such an important part in tapping into your students prior. Knowledge. It's a huge part um, of it. And you're completely right. Because you can't, you can't learn without emotion but you can learn without articulating feelings. And that's, I think one of the biggest mistakes teachers make. And I'm really hoping it turns out like 98% of the time I've done this in my career, you guys like may totally fuck this up for me and that's okay. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I thought about it and I was like, gosh, they might actually be a little too aware for this. Okay. So the way that this works is that I'm going to read you a list of words, and then we're just going to talk about it afterwards. Are you going to read all the words, and then we're going to talk? Or are you going to read one at a time, and then we're going to talk? I'm going to read all of the words, and then we're going to talk. Okay, Am I go. allowed to write the words down? You're not allowed to write words down, Mark. That was Ashlyn. Why are you holding the mic so close to your dagum mouth? She's excited. Let her be excited. Well, that, and I think Good. it falls. It worked. Okay, <laughs> like, that's fine. I'm not going to. I heard my trachea earlier. And I want you guys to very clearly hear the words. Okay. <laughs> we hear them. <laughs> Mark. Crystal clear. <laughs> okay. Sour, candy, sugar, bitter, good, taste, tooth, nice, honey, soda, chocolate, heart, cake, tart, pie. All right. Was the word good on that list? Yes. Quick. Was the word sugar on that list? Yes. Both of you guys have to answer as well. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Was soda on that list? Yes. No. Was sweet on that list? No. Yes. Was chocolate on the list? No. No. Was sour candy on the list? Yes. 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 Okay. So thank you guys for not fucking this up for me. I really appreciate it. Um, nobody got it 100% right. <laughs> and the reason why, first of all, Mark, you did get it right that sweet was on the list. Chocolate was and soda was. And I then said, I said soda I know, was, but I said chocolate wasn't. Okay. And then I heard Ashlyn say that sweet was, but maybe Ashlyn, you said soda wasn't. I don't remember. Anyways, the point is, is that when you hear that whole list of words, because you know those words with high frequency and high reliability, you think that you remember something that isn't exactly correct. And so it illustrates how like the active mind has an inferencing process and when I talked about that, um, the kind of the brain economy, 
you remember words just because they were implied, whether or not I said them or not, or you think I did not say them even though I did. So earlier when we were talking about the way that you actually process information, you can hear words that weren't said or not hear words that were said. So I know that's a really simple way of doing it, but they've done a lot of studies using something very similar to that in order to lead into this part where you were talking earlier about whether or not we can believe 20 men are imaginary. Was it 20 men? Yeah, sure. Either way. That they were imaginary or not. And so the, the way that this works is that the experience can alter your brain structure. And that specific experience can have a, an effect on the brain. And the nature of the experience attaches to like the memory process. So for me, one of the best examples is that like if a child is given a false event that never, ever occurred. And if you tell it to them over 12 weeks time, children will get to the point where they fully elaborate accounts of the fictitious events <laughs> to the point where they involve their parents, their siblings, and a whole host of actual evidence that it occurred. <laughs> and adults take anywhere from 16 to 18 weeks to do the exact same thing, where if you continuously repeat the same thing, they'll attach it somewhere in their cognitive economy and through their memory processes. And it will exist as a memory in their brain. So I have a question for you then. Okay. For, so for somebody who would be um, uh, labeled from others as a pathological liar, so somebody that cannot help but to lie. Okay. Um, how does that shape their reality and their experience? I mean, because like I, I know, I, I know someone. Somebody comes to my mind right now that I know that okay. lies perpetually about small things, about large things, and it actually just came out. Uh, like this, this person came out recently that um, something that they've told me for the past ten years actually wasn't very true. But I've heard this person talk about. Let's. I mean, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go out and say they. They said that they were a comedian for a while, um, for like a period of three years. And they would tell me, like, uh, I mean, in great detail about like the smoke, the, the smell of the smoke in the bar. And um, they would tell me about uh, like the people that they would meet. And it, come, and it actually turned out that that person never even went into a, a club. They never did stand up comedy. Like, okay, so like this is a good example. Like, how does that, how does that shape their learning? Like, like, like what? Like, how do you respond so, to that? So they do it to themselves. So if you tell yourself a story x amount of times over, or honestly, then your your brain does the same thing as if somebody else was telling you that over 16, 18 weeks. Because when you're recalling information, every time you recall it, it goes into that cognitive economy. And your long-term memory deeper. So that's why some of us know a little more about certain historical facts. Because the more we recite them, the more true they become. And the more they go into our long-term memory. So very similarly to if I sat in front of a professor that lied to me for 16 to 18 weeks. That World War II was in 1946. I could walk away fully believing that the World War II is in 1946. But... Mark, that really explains how it's the same way, just pathologic. Somebody who might be considered a pathological liar actually does that process to themselves. So is there is their reality actually different 
than ours. I mean, because like, I mean, define reality anyways, but like they are creating this world. I mean, it lives within them. Well, like, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, Julie, are you saying that, is it a, is it a choice or like not a choice? So, so someone who's going to tell a lie, are they, are they even conscious of it at that point? If they've kind of said this to themselves and in their mind over and over and they've built so that not reality. Being a, not being a psychologist, obviously that's, I mean, I know about learning and the development of the brain and the way that we develop our thoughts and we retrieve them. This that that being said, this is a guess based on what I know about learning and development. I would venture to say the first X amount of times they knew that they were lying, and at some point the brain takes things on as reality. So there you have it. It's not Trump's fault. Okay, I'm definitely not saying that. Let's not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what I think- what if Trump was a pathological liar that that he actually believed all these things does it make him yeah but a no, worse human like, than every, other but people every time you get new information you would have to repeat it over 16 18 weeks for it to like become <laughs> a part of reality so it he definitely encounters way too much new information <laughs> for him to go through the process it's no excuses. but i think that's how melania is his wife yeah I think that, my guess is that he just he just sleeps with Fox News on repeat, so he does hear it over and over and over and over, so he believes it. It doesn't take sixteen to eighteen weeks; it just takes like twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness! Supercharged. Yep. Supercharged. Down the pipeline. So I think when I was thinking about like all of this, um, and trying to kind of attribute it to the world we live in today, instead of being super abstract. I think um, television and social media play into what we believe, what we notice, um, kind of like the same as if you played chess or you were super into physics, um, because it creates your existing knowledge. And so it depends on like who's watching and whether you're watching alone or you're with a group. And so that kind of plays into the four pillars and Mark, what you were saying about the brain, right? Because when we watch something or we read something, stepping away from politics for a minute, and let's just say like... Space. Sure, space. Yes. Okay. So... <laughs> Hashtag Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe like, I'd be the first daggum human in line to be on the Space Force. I've <laughs> been waiting my entire life for this. I was built for this. I'm sorry, Julie. Please continue, please. No, no. I mean, I want to be far away from the Space Force, so congrats on that life goal. You're going up alone. I'm going to stay down here. I'll Skype you. I'm going to keep you safe from space. Sorry, go on. But no, if you think about it, like, so great example is the two of you would join Space Force. Lauren sat there undecided, and I was very adamant that I would not. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. She's out. All right. So <laughs> when we all look at social media, whether or not, or television, whether or not we're with other people and our experiences, right? We've talked about that. Our biases. We have positive and negative effects as a result. And so I think the same thing kind of happened in a church. And so I think for churches, you think about how people learn and what their ultimate goal is. 
And I think that that's something we could discuss. But let's just say their ultimate goal is the teachings of Jesus. They have to have a way to connect with one, people's prior knowledge, which is really hard to read in an entire room of strangers. And two, um, they have to make learning matter. Three, they have to make it relevant. So it's kind of like a well-worn path and a road, if you think about a dirt road. It's gotta be like a mile deep and an inch wide in order to achieve all of those things. Instead of just kind of grazing over and people interpreting it the way that they interpret it through their experiences and their bias and the way that they've been raised, the household they've been raised in. Are they with a group of people? Are they alone? How much have they lied to themselves? Are they being lied to? You know, I think it's important to remember that everything you hear, everything you think, everything you watch, everything you read on Facebook, everything, everything affects your brain and your belief system. Everything. Yeah. Which is why it's important to make sure you navigate carefully what you allow to come into your brain. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why I'm really adamant about watching Fox News 24-7. Oh my goodness. And listening to Rush Limbaugh. You know, sometimes we get on this and we talk about penises or masturbation. (laughs) We just talk about politics. And Fox today, it's Fox News. And a part of me almost misses masturbation. Yeah, (laughs) I I would rather talk about that than Fox News. Like, like, why is this important that we're talking about Christians that are, are most more susceptible? I mean, because obviously it's how they're predisposed. It's how their their learning patterns all kind of flow into the same uh, pool of belief systems. It's all kind of related. It's it's all right there. Like, why is this important? Like, why are we bringing this up at all? Because I mean, I want I don't want anyone to listen to this and be offended. Uh, be, especially if they're a part of a multi-level marketing organization, like like these are ways to make money regardless of the stats and what data is telling all of us, regardless of those things. Uh, I do know people that make money from this um, and they have hopes and dreams uh, that are beyond themselves. They're making themselves better. And i also believe in that. So I want to, I, I want, I want to, I want to, stress the importance that that these are good people and 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 i i never would want to offend anyone i i love i love their choices we're just simply bringing up the parallels between christianity and individuals that are susceptible to multi-level marketing and why there's a parallel there you know i think that like a lot of it is that when we're, we've talked a lot about the way that you interpret information and the way you absorb it and the way you interact with the world, I think whether or not you're engaging in the church or a multi-level marketing scheme or, I, I don't know, with other humans on the street, your friends, your family who maybe you may or may not agree with, I think all the information we talked about today is really, really crucial to everybody being a bit more, like we've said, empathetic. Mm-hmm. And, and loving more humans in the world in a way that's open and inclusive and non-judgmental, making the world a better place. And I think that that's ultimately like 
understanding the way that our brains work and the way that we interpret information and and connecting multi-level marketing and and Christianity, I think, gives people who maybe haven't experienced Christianity another way of looking at it and understanding it, right? And and having more understanding in the world makes us more inclusive and empathetic mm-hmm. humans. That's really good. Yeah. And also, just a thought I had of, you know, do, I guess more of a question, do you have to have the same values, beliefs, experiences, passions, everything all so tightly in common to have empathy for somebody and to to hear their story and to not immediately judge them um, and discount who they are as a human being. And, um, you know, I hope I hope that answer for most people is no. You know, I um, as we all have our our specific lenses that we look through and and process things that happen to us and our experiences and, and all of that, you know, um, I guess my hope from, for this podcast is, um, that people can still step back and learn a, what, what empathy really is and, and be how to sincerely love and, open up their tables to people who don't have hmm. the same values, beliefs, experiences, and, and passion that, that somebody else does. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, um, it's not an easy, um, thing to ask of somebody, um, always, but I think maybe is the basis of what we've been talking about. And that's just my my thought on all of this. Hmm. No, I like that. And so, you know, that that's kind of what this this episode is to me. It's it's you know, it's challenging to me to think about those things about why I believe and and you know, going forward when I read something or I see something or I take in incoming information, it's going to challenge me to think about that in a different way and process it in a different way uh, and and maybe more consciously form my beliefs. Mm-hmm. I think of a friend of mine who is fervently, she is fervently Republican and almost more Republican than Christian. Virtually everything that she posts on Facebook, I, I, I want to throw up in my mouth. Her ability to not show empathy and compassion to people that need it. And it's not a Republican's viewpoint. This is her viewpoint. I want to not paint with a broad brush here. Um, I, I want to be cautious in these words be, because her, her belief system is just in, as important as mine is. And the way that she has created her reality is just as important as any one of ours. And I think that's the point here is if we can understand how the brain is structured and if we can understand how we learn, and if we can understand the pillars of belief and we can understand what we're susceptible to, then we can learn to love and we can mm-hmm. learn how to embrace each other beyond the barriers of our beliefs. So if you, if you believe something different than any of us, reach out to us, email us or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. I want to learn about you. I want to learn about what you believe, about what you think. 
It's what makes this world beautifully diverse and complex. My viewpoint is is small and it, it, it does not even come close to encompass the 7 billion integer wide human race that we are. And I want, I want to know, I want to know all of your viewpoints. I mean, even here, like our belief is four integers wide here. Like my belief is different from all of yours. So if your belief is different, reach out and tell us what you believe and why, because I want to learn, I want to learn more about this world. I want to learn more about you. I want to pull you into our world because this ultimately is all of our world. I mean, it's just one, we're all in this together. Also, I really think you should reach out, reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, because we have um, this awesome life coaching business. <laughs> um, we're just really excited that, that about you and, That you could be and, a part of for just yeah, $100 a month. You know, the doc, like the- <laughs> It's just really, one down how much, how much, How much is it worth it to you? How much How much value do you could you really place on being able to change people's lives and give yourself a better life. So reach out. You know, even more important than that, you could be an independent business owner. Yeah. Yeah. And distribute life supplies. Mark, more important than that, you can help others. Fucking right. (laughs) Julie, you you want to be my downline? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that concludes episode number nine, part two of multi-level Christianity here on the Mark Explains podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I hope these podcasts uh, have brought you hope and love and light. And uh, this is Mark just sending love and light to all of you and to uh, every human on this planet.